All right, if you'll stand and open to Romans chapter 8, we'll be reading verses 12 through 27 as Pastor Bruce continues in our series on triumphant living, what the gospel can do for you. And today we're going to read Romans 8, 12 through 27. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we, all, we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus, as you would open our hearts and minds to learn what you would have for us this morning and be with Pastor Bruce as he brings his message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been uh, in a series we've been calling Triumphant Living, a series on this particular chapter in Romans, Romans chapter 8. And uh, we said at the very beginning of this series that this is kind of like the, the summit of the whole book of Romans. In fact, it's the summit of the Bible, you could say. Many, many scholars have even declared Romans chapter 8 the greatest chapter in the whole Bible and uh, I described it as kind of like the Mount Everest, if you will, of Romans, of the Bible, this particular chapter. And, uh, and so it's been a great journey so far. I hope you've been encouraged by it. I hope you've been blessed by it, uh, of what the gospel can do for you. It's, it's what gives us and allows us to live triumphantly. Uh, you may remember the very first message uh, you know, in Summitine, this Mount Everest of the gospel, we kind of began at base camp. And, and Paul here in verse 1, he kind of declares to us through the gospel in verse 1, lays the foundation for all those who are believers in Christ. And the gospel declares to us in this theme, if the foundation of Romans 8, what? There is now therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Last night I'm sitting in my chair watching the NCAA March Madness basketball games. How many have been enjoying that so far? How many of your teams have lost so far? How many brackets have been shattered so far? Yes. 
Uh, and so I, Zach and I, he's a basketball junkie like myself. He's my text fan. When we watch basketball games, we text back and forth about what we don't like and do like, and we moan and groan to each other because our teams have lost so far. And uh, so anyways, we're texting about last night's games, and then he sends me this picture of his, in this kitchen, he's got his wife, I, I assume it's your wife, not you, Zach, and, and he's got this chalkboard, a decorative chalkboard, not like a school chalkboard, and this verse is on their chalkboard in their kitchen to remind them there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I thought it was great. It was, it was awesome. Thank you for sending that to me. And so we begin with that verse at, at the summit of this Mount Everest in this chapter, and then we progress. We're hiking up to the summit, and, and Paul tells us, hey, we're not doing this alone. We have the Spirit who dwells within us. Pretty cool thought, that we don't have to hike this journey, this Christian life all on our own, that we have the Spirit who dwells in us. And then we progress a little bit further in here, Romans chapter 8, and we learn, as Pastor Chris showed us last Sunday, that this journey, oh, it includes a lot of groaning, doesn't it? It's not easy to hike through this journey. There's groaning now, but thank God there is what later? Oh, that was pretty pathetic. There's groaning now, but there is what coming later? Glory! glory. God has promised us glory. And we can't wait for that day. Yes, there's groaning, there's suffering now, but glory later. And that's what God promises to us. In fact, we'll look at that even more in detail in two weeks from now. It's an awesome thought. But we're not quite to the summit. We'll get there on Easter Sunday. We will look at verses 31 through 39, the very peak of this chapter in all that God has in store for us and what he promises us and that nothing can separate us from his love. But we're not quite there. And so before we get there, what Paul does now is he kind of declares to us a reality that plagues every one of us. And that reality is this. We are Weak. We are weak. And some of you right now are saying, tell me something I don't know already. And others of you, perhaps younger, are like, weak? What's that? I'm full of energy. There's no weakness in my life. Oh, have I got news for you. And it's not just that we have moments of weakness in our life. But weakness, listen to me, it pervades everything we are. Think about it, we're weak physically. Now I know when you're young, you tend to think you're strong, but then reality sets in the older we get. We're weak intellectually. We struggle to understand. We don't think clearly at times. We get confused, and, and we are sometimes even paralyzed by the simplest decisions in life. We're weak emotionally. Sometimes we just can't take it anymore when the circumstances combine to kind of just push us over life's edge. And then we are weak spiritually. Oh, how often we give in way too easily to temptation. We lack the faith that we ought to have, and we're not the spiritual giants that we wish we were. And so weakness, let me tell you, is not just one experience that we have among many experiences. No, weakness is our condition here on this earth. It's why we groan the way we do. Is that how you view yourself? 
Do you view yourself as weak? You know, that's how Paul, the one who wrote this chapter, the book of Romans, most of the books in the New Testament, that's how the Apostle Paul viewed himself. Do you remember what Paul prayed in 2 Corinthians 12 about his, quote, thorn in the flesh, his own personal weakness? He prayed three times that God would just take it away. And what was God's answer to him in that chapter, verse 9 specifically? God's answer to him is this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. And do you know what Paul said in response to God? God's answer to his prayer? Remember now, he's ministering in a Corinthian culture, a culture that values power, a culture that values prestige, a culture that values strength over weakness. Oh gee, that's kind of like our culture today, isn't it? We live in the same culture. We live in a culture uh, that values strength, machoism, power. And because of that, we feel the pressure to be strong all the time in our lives. But we're not strong all the time, are we? But we feel this pressure from our culture to be strong. And so what do we do? We tend to cover up our weaknesses. We put on a mask and, and we hide our weaknesses. And as a result, we live in a world of imposters. We live in a world of posers. And that's why we struggle with authenticity, even in our grow groups, in which many of you will participate tonight. And we, we, we're in this tension and struggle to even share some of our weaknesses and to be real and authentic because of the pressure of our culture. It doesn't value weakness. But listen to Paul's answer about his own weakness here. He says, so then I will boast most gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may reside in me. And folks, that is good news. It is great news. Now many of you have come here today knowing that you are weak. Knowing that you are in need of help. And I have good news for you. Paul has a word of encouragement. He has a word of hope for you in our text today. But if you came here this morning viewing yourself as strong and mighty and invincible, I have good news for you too. For when you take off the mask and when you stop the charade and when you stop trying to convince everyone around you that everything is okay and that you've got everything figured out, and you've got it all together, then Paul also has a word of hope to meet you in that moment of honesty. And you say, well, what is that good news? What is Paul's word of comfort and hope for the weak here today? Well, here's his word. The Spirit has you covered. In other words, the Spirit's got your back. Look at this. We are weak, but the Spirit helps us in our weakness, Paul says. Look what he writes in the first part of verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Now, I love that word, helps. Think about that word, helps. You know what? I need a God who helps me. I don't need a God who dumps on me, and neither do you. It's encouraging that God doesn't confront us. He doesn't condemn us for being weak. 
Rather, God gives us His Spirit to help us in our weakness. How? Well, let's find out this morning. Last Sunday, we saw in verses 18 through 25 that everyone who is in Christ Jesus is destined for groaning now in this lifetime, but then glory later. And that is what? Good news, right? Paul explains that our present suffering is nothing when compared to everything that we will receive for all eternity and glory. Knowing this truth, you know what Paul tells us? He says, listen, we should hold fast to our hope of glory. We should persevere in this Christian life that God has given to us and hold fast and persevere in the midst of groaning and suffering in this present world. In fact, we already, Paul reminds us, we already possess the first fruits of that future glory. And what is that first fruit of the future glory? It's the Holy Spirit himself who dwells within us. It's like a down payment on that glory to come. And now Paul comes to us here in verse 26, and he tells us that just as we are helped in our groaning by that hope of glory to come, so we are now helped in our weakness by the power of the Spirit who dwells within us. What an amazing thought. Now this word help, Interesting word. It's only used one other time in the New Testament. It's the same word that's used over in Luke chapter 10, verse 40, when Martha was complaining to Jesus about Mary. Some of you may remember that story. Martha had been slaving over that hot oven for Jesus. She had set the table with her best china. She was hustling and bustling during the meal, but the task was more than she could bear. She needed what? Help. She needed Mary to pitch in and bear the burden with her. And so Martha tells Jesus to tell her sis, tell Mary, hey, tell her to help me. It's the same idea here in this verse. The Spirit helps us. In the same way, He lightens, He helps to lighten our load. Picture a man trying to drag an enormous log, but that log is so heavy he can barely move it. And then along comes Paul Bunyan, who picks up one end, and so together they carry the log down the road. But in reality, we all know who's really carrying the log, really. It's Paul Bunyan. He's the one with the strength. He helps us. He's lighting in, helping to lighten our load. Well, that's what the Spirit does. He helps us in our weakness. And you ask, well, so just how weak are we? Just how weak are we? Well, in our groaning in this life, we often find ourselves, get this, too weak to pray. That's how weak we are. We're too weak to even pray. And listen to me, if we're too weak to pray, let me tell you, we're really in trouble. But Paul tells us in these two verses, that's when the Spirit steps in to help us in our lives, in our prayers. Let's look at it. Number one, let's be honest. Let's be honest here. Let's be real. Let's be authentic with one another. Number one, we often struggle in prayer, don't we? 
Who doesn't struggle in prayer? Most of us are keenly aware of our deficiencies in prayer. Yes, prayer is a blessing. Yes, it's a, it's a privilege, but prayer is not easy. We often find that prayer is a struggle. Why? Because our hearts are cold. Our thoughts constantly wander. Our words descend into incoherent mumblings, and then there's silence. As Robert Murray McShaney once said, if you want to humble a Christian, just ask about his or her prayer life. How true. At one level, prayer is really nothing more than an exercise of admitting we're weak and need help. Why pray unless you're in need? And yet, our weakness, Paul says, extends to our very prayer lives. Look again what he writes in verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Now let me just highlight two weaknesses in our prayer here. First of all, we don't know what to pray for. There are many times in our lives we just do not know what to pray for. But I'm reminded that there was this lady who had a female parrot, and the only thing the parrot said was, let's pray. Walk into the room with the parrot, the parrot would just chime, let's pray, let's pray, let's pray. Well, the lady met a man at a, man at a parrot lover's meeting, and he had a male parrot who never said anything but, let's kiss, let's kiss, let's kiss. Eventually, the man and the woman married. And so not only was it the uniting of a man and a woman, it was also the uniting of these two parrots. They put those two parrots in the same cage, and the female parrot looked over and very shyly and piously said, let's pray. And the male parrot said, let's kiss. And the female parrot said, praise God, my prayers have been answered. <laughs> now there's a parrot who knew exactly what she was praying for. But that's not always the case with us. As we live in this life, as, as we go through life, we can be so overwhelmed with the crushing weight of this existence that we don't even know what to pray for. The very enormity of our struggles and our suffering silences us. We don't know what to pray for or even how to pray for it. And this is one of our chief problems in prayer. I mean, how many times have you tried to pray and you didn't know what to say? All that comes out is, dear Father, Lord. And, and it just goes, in silence. You're perplexed. We don't know whether we should pray for this or pray for that because we are so uncertain what God's will is for this or for that. This happens most often when we're faced with a crisis. Or at a crossroad of an important decision. Or even when we're praying for a loved one or somebody else. Most of us can relate to the perplexity that decision-making produces in our lives. And most of us can relate to the paralysis of prayer that often accompanies it. And so we wonder, am I praying with an open mind? Am I weighing all the options accurately? Am I forgetting an important piece of the equation? What, Lord, should I even pray for exactly? And this indecision about what to pray for often leads to another weakness in prayer. We can't even put our prayer into words. Have you ever found yourself unable to express your thoughts coherently in prayer? Instead, you find yourself reduced to groaning 
a sigh, just a heart's longing is all that comes out, a murmur. Sometimes we find ourselves in such distress or indecision that we can't even put our prayer into words before God. We can't vocalize it. We can't express what our wishes are. We start to pray, but all we can do is groan. And you may be in that position right now. You've come to church this morning. You put on your best face, but take away the camouflage of that best face. And deep down, you're in distress. You're experiencing difficulty. You're faced with indecision. You don't know what to pray for. You don't know what the best thing is for you or your family, your children or your parents. You don't know what to pray for when it comes to your health or your job or your finances or any other pressing issue in your life. And so when you come to God and as you come to Him in prayer, your prayer is confused. You're saying one thing and then another. Or perhaps you're not saying anything at all. It's just a groan or even a sigh. Such is the struggle of prayer. And I'm sure there are many of you here this morning who know exactly what Paul is talking about here in verse 26. You may be paralyzed in, in helpless indecision, or you may be too distressed to utter a coherent prayer at all. But listen to me, it's precisely at this point that these verses become so real in our lives. Because Paul assures us that when we struggle in prayer, the Spirit will what? Will help us. The Spirit will help us. That is the Spirit who dwells in you. And you say, well, how will the Spirit help us? Notice verse 2, or point 2. The Spirit helps us in prayer. Look what Paul writes in the last half of verse 26. He says, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So specifically here, the Spirit helps us by praying with us and for us. Now, I'll be honest with you. We in, we're now entering into a deep mystery that is way beyond my understanding. But what Paul seems to be saying here is that when we are too defeated, or too distressed, or too confused to pray, the Spirit makes His own appeal to the Father on your behalf. That is great news, right? In other words, when all you can do is groan, the Spirit takes over and helps us by interceding for us with groanings too deep for words, according to the English Standard Version. The Spirit joins in with your groanings and groans with you and for you to the Father. Now what's interesting about all this is that this is the third time we've encountered this word groan here in Romans chapter 8. You go back to verse 22. And we saw that the whole creation groans under the curse of sin. You go to the next verse, verse 23, and Paul tells us that we ourselves, we groan as we await the redemption of these bodies which are so weak and dying. But Paul reminds us that we have the first fruits of the Spirit dwelling within us. And now, according to verse 26, Paul seems to be saying that the Spirit groans 
through our own struggles in prayer, and He translates our struggles into His own intercession with groanings too deep for words. Yes, we still groan and we suffer in this life. And yes, we sometimes may feel defeated, feel distressed in this life, but why is it that our hearts still lay hold of God and refuse to let go? Because the Holy Spirit is helping us. The Holy Spirit is helping us by praying for us with His own groanings, joining in our groans. And according to verse 27, the Father, get this, the Father, our Heavenly Father, discerns within our heavy-hearted groans the clear mind and the winning voice of the Holy Spirit as He makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Whoa, stand back and blow me away by all this. Who can explain that? I'm glad I don't have to explain it. I just get to enjoy it. I get to participate in it. That's what the Spirit is doing for me. And doing for you if you are in Christ. So listen to me carefully this morning. Don't underestimate the Spirit's help in prayer. The Spirit's help in your life. Get this, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen. The Spirit expresses our heart's groanings perfectly to the Father. And they are perfectly understood by the Father. Now let me just stop and explain why this should be such a huge encouragement to every one of us here this morning who are in Christ. Verse 27 declares that God is doing something. And according to verse 27, what is God doing? God is constantly searching our hearts. Now that can be a scary thought or a comforting thought, depending where you are in life. God is constantly searching our hearts, and then he's, he also is doing something else. He knows the mind of the Spirit who dwells within us. You say, okay, that's kind of cool. Why is that such a big deal? Because, listen to me, when we don't know what to pray for, when we don't even know how to begin to formulate it in words, God is still able to discern the voice of the Spirit in our groans, in our sighs. Why? Because God knows the mind of the Spirit, and it's the Spirit who's praying for you. In other words, the Spirit makes our groanings His own, and He expresses our heart's groanings perfectly to the Father, and they are perfectly understood by the Father. And furthermore, the second half of verse 27 tells us that the Spirit makes intercession for the saints. By the way, that's who? Who are saints? Us, right? All those that are in Christ Jesus. And you're like, I don't feel like a saint. I don't know that I look like a saint. doesn't matter what you look like or what you feel. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are a... So saint is not reserved just for senior adults. <laughs> Guys over here, gals, young ladies, young men, tell one another, I'm a saint. Now, go home and tell your moms and dads that and let them laugh at you. All right? The Spirit, in other words, makes intercession for the saints, get this, according to what? 
according to the will of God. You know what that means? It means there is absolutely no contradiction between the Spirit who's in our hearts and the Father who is in heaven. There is perfect harmony between the two. Perfect intimacy. Why? Because when the Spirit prays for us, He always prays according to God's will. That's our biggest problem in praying, isn't it? We don't know what to pray for all the time because we don't always know all the time what God's will is for that particular situation or for that issue in my life or for that person. But the Spirit always prays for us according to God's will, which, by the way, can bring comfort or fear into our lives depending on where we are. Carolyn Nystrom, you may have never heard of her, but she co-authored a book with one of the great theologians by the name of J.I. Packer on the subject of prayer. She put it this way. Listen to her words. The Spirit fixes our prayers on the way up. The Spirit fixes our prayers on the way up. I read that and I'm like, that is so awesome. I love that. Because I don't know about you, but my prayers need a lot of fixing. A whole lot of fixing. Prayers that are badly expressed. Prayers that are not really expressed at all. Prayers that are just longings or groans or sighs. Let me tell you, these prayers are, quote, fixed on their way up to our Heavenly Father by the Spirit who dwells in us. So don't underestimate, don't ever underestimate the Spirit's help in praying for you. So what difference should this make in our life then? Should this make any difference in our life? How how should all this impact our lives now? While we're groaning. We haven't yet reached the summit of our Christian lives. We haven't reached glory. So how should this impact our lives now and help us as we persevere, as we hold fast to the hope of glory? Well, notice number three. Because of the Spirit's help, we should be encouraged in prayer, even when we're too weak to pray. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're struggling in prayer, if you're here this morning and you find yourself in a situation where you don't know what to pray for, and all you can do is groan, then join the club and be encouraged. Do you realize you're in the same boat? as other, quote, giants of the faith. Spiritual giants who struggle to know God's will and prayer. Spiritual giants even in God's Word. Spiritual giants such as Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, even the Apostle Paul here. So if you're struggling in prayer, if you find yourself in a situation this morning, you don't know what to pray for, then join the club. Grab a paddle. Be encouraged that God is so gracious that He makes our groans to be understood and to prevail by the work of the Spirit. Be encouraged that God discerns the Spirit's voice in your groans and that He is not confused even if we are. Be encouraged that when you're too weak to pray, the Spirit steps in and prays for you according to God's will. But let me leave you with five specifics. Five encouragements 
when you're too weak to pray. Number one, be encouraged that God's power is made perfect in your weakness. Listen, our suffering in this life and our struggle in prayer simply reveals our weaknesses. It strips away the mask of self-sufficiency and it displays our utter helplessness. In reality, you know what it really does? It forces us to confront our own inabilities in this life. It forces us to admit, man, I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I need help. And that's good. Because from beginning to end, the Christian life is God's power made weak. God's power made perfect in our weakness. Listen, we never graduate out of weakness until we are glorified in heaven. And if that is so, then we can admit, we can be real among one another and admit how weak we really are, even in prayer. Listen, the authentic Christian life is not people who always know what to do and what to pray for and how to pray for it, but simply people who have the Holy Spirit helping them in their weakness. Thank God for the Spirit's help. Thank God that our future does not stand or fall on the brilliance of our praying, but on the all-sufficiency of God. Number two, be encouraged that you are not expected to know the will of God in every respect. Now, let me just say that God's will, if you want to know it, is found where? Clue. Right here. So much of God's will is already revealed for us on numerous life issues. Marriage, parenting, finances, you name it. So we don't have to be confused. We don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder what God's will is. All we need to do is go to his word and search it. Read it. Study it. Apply it. And we know what God's will is on so many issues in life that we deal with and we face. But there are things, there are times when we don't always know the will of God in every respect. In this text, what Paul says here, he is saying, listen, that's okay. Don't let that bug you. It's okay not to know. Why? Because there is one who does know. And that's the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. And the Spirit is praying the way one ought to pray who knows God's will. So be encouraged this morning that you are not expected to know the will of God in every respect. Number three, third encouragement. Be encouraged that you don't have to find the, quote, right words to pray meaningfully to God. Do you realize God is not, in this particular case, of what we're dealing with this morning, God is not judging your words, but He's listening to your heart? We pray to a God who, in other words, we pray to a God who can discern the prayer within the prayer. He hears the words we say, and he also understands the heart cry that kind of lies underneath all our prayers. The heart cry that, that's below our, our groanings and longings. 
because He searches our hearts. So when the only prayer you can manage is a groan or a sigh, let me tell you, that is a beautiful prayer in the sight of our Heavenly Father. Yes, it's humanly weak, but it has power in heaven through the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So when all you can do is utter that groan, utter that simple cry, let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is taking you perhaps to a new depth of yieldedness you did not anticipate. You don't have to know what to do next. You don't have to find the right words to pray. You only need to cling to God and hold fast to the hope of glory. So don't think that your groanings and your longings are an immature phase that you just need to grow out of as a Christ follower. No, your godly groanings are profound before the throne of God. Isn't it true that sometimes our best moments with the Lord are when our hearts, broken with our own need, are melted into longings for Him and His glory. And there is a communion with our Father that we know during that time that is just, it's hard to put into words. Number four, be encouraged that God not only knows you, folks, listen, He understands you. He understands you. God is searching your heart. And He understands you more than you realize. Yes, He knows your weaknesses and He knows what you're dealing with and going through. But He understands exactly what you need in those moments. So be encouraged that God is able to do exceedingly above all that you ask or think as Paul writes in Ephesians 3.20. Number five, the last encouragement. Be encouraged that in your weakness, the Spirit is praying for you and not against you. You drop down to verse 31, and we'll look at this on Easter Sunday. Paul asks the question, if God is for us, who can be against us? It's an awesome question. But here, Paul's given us a little pretaste of that. Here, we see part of that great for us in verse 26. And that great for us is that the Spirit is praying for us and not against us. So be encouraged that as you cling to Christ and as you groan in your suffering, the Spirit is praying for you and not against you. Because let's be honest, sometimes when we're groaning in our suffering or distresses or difficulty, what do we tend to think about our God? God must not be for me. God must be against me. Because if He was for me, He wouldn't be allowing me to go through this. He wouldn't bring this into my life. And yet Paul is reminding us here that God is for us. And not only God the Father, but God the Spirit is for us. And the proof is in the fact that He's praying for us. And not against you. And then Paul reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God as we're going to see in a couple of weeks. And it's so phenomenal. Now I want to close with this question. And it's in your notes. Coming up on the screen. Are you too weak to pray? Are you here this morning and you feel like, man, I am too weak to pray? Listen, don't despair. Don't despair. Admit your weakness and trust the Spirit to pray for you. These two verses here in Romans chapter 8, 
verses 26 and 27, tell us that when we're too weak to pray, the Spirit helps us by praying for us. When you are too discouraged, when the pain is too deep, when the disappointment is too profound, when the sense of loss is too overwhelming, when all you can do is muster up a groan, the Spirit's got you covered. The Spirit's got you covered. So when you can't pray, when the words just won't come, when you don't know what to pray for, God has given you His Spirit who is praying for you. What an amazing gift God's given to us. What an amazing God who would make such a provision for us. So be encouraged this morning. Leave here knowing this truth. Grab hold of it. Embrace it. But I know there may be one or two of you, perhaps even a handful, you're like, man, that's still not enough. I just don't know, Bruce. I just don't know. And if that's still not enough for you to lift your spirits and to encourage you, then let me encourage you to take this truth home with you. Do you realize you have not one, get this, two intercessors praying for you? You're like, what are you talking about? Listen, as a Christian, and according to Romans 8, we define a Christian as what? One who is in Christ, and Christ is in you, because you've put your faith and trust in Christ, in what Christ did on the cross, in paying the penalty for your sins, so that now God can declare you righteous, because Christ has satisfied the wrath of God. So you're now in Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. That, by definition, is a Christian, a believer, a Christ follower. And so, listen to me here. As a Christian, you have, get this, the Spirit praying for you, but you also have Jesus praying for you, according to verse 34. What you've got now is you've got an intercessor on earth in your heart praying for you, and you have an intercessor in heaven praying for you. So be encouraged. Do you realize what this means? You are being prayed for by the number one prayer team in the universe. It doesn't get much better than that. Next Monday night, they're going to crown a champion in the Collegiate Basketball Championship. And after that game is over next Monday night, that winning team's going to go around. We're number one. We're number one. And they are for that moment in time. But folks, we have a better team than what's going to be crowned next Monday night. We got the number one prayer team in the universe that is praying for us. We have the Spirit within us, and we have Jesus in heaven praying for us. So be encouraged. One is above, one is below, and you're right in the middle. Now that ought to be encouraging to you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. And we thank you. Oh, do we thank you for the Spirit that dwells within us and the provision you have made by the Spirit who helps us in our weakness, who helps us in our struggle and prayer by interceding on our behalf. 
Lord, even when we're too weak to, the Spirit is praying for us. When all we can do is muster up a groan, the Spirit is there praying for us. And so we thank you and we praise you that you have not left us to ourselves, but you have given us your Spirit to help us in this journey. Lord, I know there are some here this morning, many perhaps, who are facing situations, circumstances, difficulties, distresses, you name it. And they may feel like they are simply too weak to pray. And Lord, I ask that you would intercede for them as as you have promised. And so the application of this message as we come to our response time is to bring your needs before God. Right where you're sitting, as the praise team sings, to go before God in prayer, and you're like, man, I'm too weak to pray. Then just sit there and moan. Just groan within your heart. Listen, God is searching your heart. He knows. And so I ask it for these next few minutes, just focus your mind and your heart on the God who loves you and has provided for you. And let the Spirit work in prayer in these next few minutes. Now, if you're not a believer in Christ, listen, your first prayer is to cry out to God to save you and to put your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did on the cross for you. And God will hear that prayer as well. And He will answer that prayer of your heart. And so if God is working for you to respond, and if He's moving, then that is the response to cry out to him to save you and to give you a new heart wherever you may be will you respond let the spirit work in your heart